Welcome to CFAS Podcast on Global Fixed Income. Many investors seek the stable and attractive income generated by bonds, but with today's low interest rate environment and concerns about rising rates, where are the opportunities and where are the risks? I'm Michael Hedstrom, and I'm pleased to have with me Gary Herbert, Portfolio Manager and Head of Global Credit at Brandywine, an independent affiliate of Lake Mason. Gary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your time, Michael. Fixed income investors do face a difficult investment environment. Yields are near record lows. Central bank actions and political uncertainty have caused widespread volatility, and concern persists over the prospects for the global economy. So let's start there. Gary, with trillions in fixed income at negative rates and the U.S. telegraphing that it will increase rates, how do you deliver value to investors in this environment? Thanks for the question, Michael. For, for us, we take a multifaceted approach to identifying value opportunities in the fixed income market. First of all, we consider opportunities globally. So we look across various countries, various credit markets to find the best opportunities. So when we're looking for value opportunities for our investors. We're seeking in specific sovereign debt markets, that is specific country markets, we're looking for markets that offer very high real yields, that is yields above the inflation. So we look at those opportunities both in a historical as well as a perspective basis. So a market that offers high real yields typically can be one that's very rewarding for investors when considering sovereign bond opportunities. Second, I mentioned credit markets. You can break that into two components, the traditional corporate credit as well as structured credit markets. And so from our perspective on corporate credit, what we're trying to identify are those corporate securities, whether they're investment grade or high yield, that offer more limited default risk but very high yields or very attractive corporate risk premium or spreads, option-adjusted spreads. So we identify our particular credit opportunities that reward you for bearing default risk, and our goal is obviously to minimize that. And then thirdly, and this is the second component of credit, we look for opportunities in the structured credit markets. Um, Historically, we've invested in non-agency mortgages in the U.S., European mortgages in the continental Europe, as well as in the U.K., And then more recently, we've been considering opportunities in the multifamily sector. So our goal is to find idiosyncratic opportunities in sovereign, corporate, as well as structured credit markets. And in each of these cases, they should offer a significant risk premia. And our hope is that over time, that risk premia, in a sense, or that spread, if you will, declines. So we'll earn both very high income as well as enhance capital appreciation over in our, ter- in our environment or our time period, uh, you know, a three- to roughly three-year time period. Currency exposure obviously plays an important role in a global bond fund. Can you talk about how you manage it and also give us your outlook on the currency markets, especially now after the election where currencies around the world have been making headlines? Yes. So currency, we believe, is, is a risk that should be actively managed. So when I highlighted those opportunities in sovereign bond markets, in corporate credit markets and in structured credit markets, we, in certain cases, bear that local currency risk. So that is, we won't necessarily hedge all of the exposures back to U.S. dollars. In fact, what we've done as a firm and in most of our strategies is actually bear local currency risk. So from time to time, we may believe there's opportunities in the Brazilian real, Mexican peso, South African rand. Those are markets, for instance, that offer very high real yields. 
And it's our expectation that if you bear that risk from time to time, that you can earn outsized returns. Now, as you highlight, whether it's uh, volatility around Greece, uh, whether it's volatility around interest rate expectation, that is rates rising with the Federal Reserve, or even political risk, whether it's in the U.S. or even in Italy with a referendum, that can introduce some volatility into a fund. But what we encourage investors to do is to look beyond a three or even four or five month horizon, but look out several years. When you bear that local currency risk and there's an additional yield pickup, if you will, relative to the U.S. dollar, that typically ends up being quite rewarding. Now, there may be monthly time periods where we've introduced some volatility, but what we ultimately believe is investors are better served in bearing that currency risk in high real yield markets in local currency terms. And ultimately, that leads to better alpha and better total returns. Let's turn to the concept of premium and discounts in closed-end funds. The Federal Reserve has spent eight years buying up bonds to reduce long-term interest rates and to stimulate investments and spending. You manage a global fixed-income closed-end fund. It's been trading at a large discount since the taper tantrum back in 2013, when the Fed said they would consider gradually cutting back on the monthly bond purchases and monetary expansion. What are your thoughts on this, and what should investors and advisors be aware of as it relates to the discount? Well, let's first talk about monetary policy. We've been in an environment where we've seen extraordinary monetary policy. It's not just in the U.S. It's obviously in the U.K. It's in continental Europe. It's in Japan. It's in Switzerland. Um, This extraordinary monetary policy has been pursued with the hope of healing or tightening credit spreads helping rebalance economies, create consumption, particularly amongst the uh, the middle class who've not benefited from significant income gains. So this monetary policy has healed credit markets. It's healed corporate balance sheets, and those credit spreads are a reflection of those improved balance sheets. And so our perspective is, is that the Fed should consider or has actually reduced monthly bond purchases and is now engaged in the viewpoint of actually raising rates, at least in the U.S. Our thoughts are that this is appropriate and is in fact discounted currently into sovereign bond yields as well as into most currency markets. We have, it appears, uh, we have had a change of administration, and the goal of that administration, ironically, is very much in line with the Federal Reserve's policy. Janet Yellen and Stanley Fisher have been very focused on driving employment. There's a very large segment of the population that's been underemployed and has felt disenfranchised. Ironically, that's what appears to have driven Donald Trump to his surprising victory in the U.S. presidency. Right now, then, those interests are aligned. I think we'll still have a a Fed that raises rates very slowly. We'll try to drive some modest increases in inflation, but we'll not try to drive long-end yield curves too much higher than current levels. And so from that perspective, we believe that opportunities in emerging markets look like a particularly unique entry point. A lot of bad news lack of growth, political shock, if you will, have now been priced into both currency and sovereign bond markets. And interestingly, though, credit markets have been exceptionally well-behaved. Equity markets have responded to the political shock by rising. Credit spreads have been tightening. I think it'll take several days 
for the market to recognize that some of the policies pursued in the path of getting to an election won't necessarily be pursued in terms of more prudent policy. So the irony of all this is is that Federal Reserve, as well as the new president, their policies, although they come at them from very different perspectives, are actually uniquely aligned. And I think that's what the stock market is looking through and the bond market, particularly in emerging markets and in currency markets, will recognize over the next several days or weeks. So from our perspective, this modest price correction looks like a really unique time to add emerging market risk and selective corporate credit risk as well. The question of the discount has, has come up, and I think what we've seen is 2013, 2014, and 2015 have been amongst the worst three years for local currency emerging market investors. And as I highlighted earlier, we bear our sovereign bond risk typically in local currency terms. So if we see an opportunity in Mexico, we may own it in the Mexican peso terms. If we see an opportunity in Brazil, we may own them in real terms. Latin American, Asian markets were all particularly harmed in local currency terms over the fear that the Fed would move to raise rates more aggressively. So in in many cases, local currency emerging markets, when you look at some of the passive indices, we're down 35 to 45% cumulatively over that three-year time period from 2013 through the end of 2015. Obviously, this year, there's been a lot of improvement. But I think what that discount reflects is that investors are unsure of our willingness to bear that risk and, and recognize the return. And our viewpoint is, is when markets get very stretched, we believe in the concept of reversion to the mean. And so we believe, uh, despite some of the political volatility that we're experiencing currently and even prospectively, that we're being exceptionally well rewarded for bearing it. We're seeing very significant improvements in uh, productivity. We believe we're seeing reduced risk in some of these emerging markets. In fact, consumption is growing. Very large portions of the markets that we invest in are seeing a growing middle class. So ultimately, we believe investors are treating some of these local currency markets more punitively than they should. And ultimately, that's then reflected in the discount of our fund. And so once investors recognize that emerging market growth will not be stalled, it will continue due to demographic trends and due to productivity trends. I think then we can see some of that discount uh, diminish over time. Finally, why should investors consider using an actively managed closed-end fund structure instead of a passive exchange-traded fund to access the global fixed-income markets? Well, what happens in many open-ended funds that are passive is that you typically have very large flows in and out of funds. We've, we've been in a period of immense political volatility. We saw it with Greece, as I highlighted earlier. We've seen it now in the U.S. We've seen it with surprises in in monetary policy. We have an Italian referendum, European elections coming. What can happen is very large flows in and out of a fund can create challenges for the active manager who takes a long-term perspective. So we're now, we are in, in this strategy, as well as in others that we run, active, non-benchmark-oriented investors who are trying to generate very strong returns for our clients over a full business cycle. We recognize that there'll be periods of time where we may modestly underperform. When you have large flows, it really can impede or impair 
your ability to deliver alpha over the full cycle. As things, as, as particular securities look exceedingly cheap, you may be faced with outflows. So the closed-end fund structure, first of all, allows us to stay fully invested. Importantly, it allows us to leverage our best ideas. And as well, it allows us to take more concentrated positions. So it's not only generating strong returns, but it's it's the goal of delivering strong alpha relative to risk proxies that some of the passive funds are unable to do because of the very fact that they have to provide liquidity in periods of time when there is, in fact, more limited liquidity. So while we are well aware that the fund trades at a discount, we believe over time, through our active management of the security selection, which includes currency, country, and credits, as well as structure credits, we can close that discount. And we've tried to be very transparent in types of risks that we're taking for our clients in the fund. Ultimately, as well, uh, we can contemplate unique strategies like buying back shares, which could represent an opportunity to close that discount over time as well. Thank you, Gary. I enjoyed talking to you today, and we appreciate you sharing your perspective and insight and for taking time to be with us today. We appreciate the chance to talk about the strategy, Michael. Thank you. You can hear more from Gary at the upcoming CIFA Advisor Summit event in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on November 16th. Information about the event, including registration, is available on our website at CIFA.com. You can also learn more about Brandywine and their funds on the Lake Mason website at legmason.com as well as on CIFA.com. Thank you all for listening. This concludes our podcast. Have a great rest of the day.